All right, um, we're going to be spending time in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so if you'll turn there, um, I actually have to make a, uh, one more announcement or, or kind of expand upon an announcement that was made. Uh, this Wednesday is our time of prayer and fasting. Um, and so uh, just like I mentioned last week, we as a church, and we're going to talk about this this morning, so it isn't completely unrelated. We have a church have been tasked to do something in this community. Uh, we've been tasked to go forth to make disciples. Uh, and a large part of that, if not the largest part of that, is devoting ourselves to prayer and to fasting. And so uh, we are going to, as a body, do that on Wednesday. And so this Wednesday, plan on fasting with us. Uh, plan on uh, abstaining from eating if you can. Uh, if for some reason you're unable to do that, uh, abstain from something else. And in that time and in that energy and effort that you would have been using uh, for whatever it is you're fasting from, uh, Pray, devote yourself to prayer, Uh, pray for this body, pray that we would be uh, uh, an organization, an organism at the same time uh, that makes disciples, that multiplies. Uh, And so if you're wondering, okay, I've never really fasted before, I don't really know what goes into that, should we all be praying the same written prayer, should we be reading, how how does this work? Don't worry, we got you covered. Uh, At the end of the service, as you're leaving, we'll have some deacons uh, who have some fasting guides for you. Uh, And so there'll be a prayer guide, I believe, in there. It'll kind of give you some uh, understanding of exactly what the focus of that day is. Uh, And so you can pray along with us. Uh, and, and you can be focusing on, on your need, our hunger for God more than our hunger and need for food or whatever else it is that you're fasting from. Uh, and so if you will join us in that and, and again, mark your calendar for this Wednesday night for 6.30 uh, so that we can join together uh, as a body and we can end our time of fasting with corporate prayer. Uh, and so uh, if you already turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's where we're going to be spending most of our time. Uh, we're done with the core values. We just finished that, but we're not done with uh, the 29th chapter. And so uh, if you recall what we've done, we've pretty much just worked through the storyline of the scriptures, uh, the, the redemptive history, what God is doing in the world, what God has been doing, what he's going to do, and how he's used us, how he's called us to be a part of what he's doing, and how he's chosen to use this this body, this organism, this organization called the church to uh, fulfill his purposes on the earth, to make disciples, to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ, the king, kingdom building is is what we're doing, and and kingdom proclaiming. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we talked about how if the church is going to do that, then it has to be about the mission of God. And so we talked about the mission that God has given the church, which is found in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, And it's the very last thing that Jesus tells his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. What I did for you, what I did to you, making you my disciples, you go and do to all nations and I will be with you by the power of my spirit until the end of this age when I come again, um, not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. And so we have this mission that we're to be about. Uh, But also, uh, we talked about how 
that mission drives the purpose of Grace Community Church and, and, it, and it creates a set of values that, that we are tied to so that we can be making and we can be accomplishing this mission uh, to the best of our abilities. And so we talked about the purpose statement of Grace Community Church. Exalt the Lord. Establish believers. Engage the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, that is not just Grace Community Church's purpose. That is our purpose. Another way of saying that is that as Christians, we are called to enjoy God's grace and to extend His glory. Alright? And so that's what we're doing. And we have the set of values that we just finished. Uh, and so, so now that we've gone through all of that, uh, we come to, hopefully there's been practical application in this the whole time, but we come to this point where now we begin to say, uh, as members of Grace Community Church, what do we do? How do we live? What is the first step? Um, how is it that we live out all of this, this stuff that we've been talking about for the past eight months? I mean, really, it's been since September that we've been talking about the 29th chapter and, and how, how we play out in it. And so now uh, we're getting our feet on the ground. And uh, early last week, uh, Brad and I talked just about where these next few sermons are going to go. And, and Brad told me that it'd be good for me to speak on evangelism. It's kind of the first step, the kind of first trait that a family member of Grace Community church bears. Uh, and so we began to talk through evangelism. And if you look at the title of the sermon, evangelism isn't even in there. It's Christ-centered multiplication. Um, and I, I want to explain a little bit why, and then I just want to jump in the into the text. Uh, we're going to just run through. We've got a lot of work to do, and so we're going we're gonna to do it. Um, but the word evangelism uh, it, it conjures up images in your head. It conjures up ideas, and, and those ideas are good. It conjures up ideas of you, the believer, going to John Q. Unbeliever and sharing the gospel with them so that they believe in Jesus, and then that's it. Then evangelism is over, and then we move on to discipleship. Um, but the, the, the root word in evangelism, evangel, it comes from the Greek word evangelion. We've talked about this before. That's gospel. And so wrapped up in this idea of evangelism is, is just that subtle, that subtle hinting at, that subtle belief that the gospel is for them and that theology is for us. The gospel is for unbelievers. And once they believe that, once you've got that, then let's move to theology and, and to discipleship, right? So we're going to evangelize to them and we're going to disciple us. When the reality is the Bible doesn't make that distinction at all. There is just disciple making and that happens as the gospel is proclaimed to unbeliever and believer alike. And so what we're going to see, I'm, I'm giving away the end here. I don't really mind that because I know uh, I go on for a while. And so if you need to check out for a little bit, that's fine. You, you, got, the, you got the meat right here, right? That, um, <laughs> that if we are to be about Christ-centered multiplication, then we have to be evangelizing ourselves daily as well as the lost. And so what we're about is multiplication, and this text is going to maybe at first seem like it doesn't have much to do with multiplication, but I think it does. 
Obviously, that's why I'm preaching from it. Um, and so, uh, we're not going to do our normal thing. We're not going to stand up uh, and read the text as a whole. Um, I'm just going to go, we're going to go verse by verse. Honestly, this is kind of uh, where I like to be anyway. This is, this is my happy spot. It's just verse by verse exegesis of the text. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, so pray with me and then let's just get going. God, as we look to your word, I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts, that we would be changed by the proclamation of your gospel. I pray that you would not rid us of any distractions, God, but rather, by the power of your spirit, cause us to place those things that we call distraction under your lordship. And that we would apply this gospel truth to those things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. All right. And so this is what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so the first thing that we want to see about multiplication is that there is a, a, a prerequisite to multiplication. Multiplica- multiplication at, at, at its purest form, uh, in its simplest form, is just growth, right? Uh, there's one person who has something, and that one person goes to another person and becomes two per- people. And, and those two people become four. And those four become eight. And I'm going to stop before the math gets too complicated. Uh, but you get the idea that multiplication is just growth. Uh, and there is an entity that has been designed uniquely by God for growth. And that's the church. We're going to look at that in the next verse. But for now, suffice to say, you have to be a part of that multiplication entity if you are going to make disciples, if you're going to be a part of that. So in order to be a part of that, you must be a part of the church. And in order to be a part of the church, you must be in Christ. And so that's what Paul leads off with here. If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. And so Paul tells us what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a Christian. And I'm I'm really convinced that as a church, this is one thing, uh, one ball that we have dropped for several decades now. Uh, We have taught people since uh, the revivals uh, that to be in Christ is simply to pray a prayer with all of your heart. And once you say these magic words, once you pray this magic prayer, preferably with tears in your eyes and, and, and at the front of the church, and look, uh, if this is your story, I'm really not knocking it. This is my mom's story, and she is directly related to my story. And so I thank God for people who came to the altar, to the front of the church, and, and repeated a prayer after a person, uh, in so much as it took root in their heart. But the problem is, what we say is, now that you've prayed this prayer, you're a Christian. Go on about your way. 
Uh, when the reality is that the Bible has no magic prayer. It has no magic words that you speak. And when you speak those words, somehow God is obligated to save you. Like, oh, this person's heart is not toward me. But he did say the words. You know, I, I guess I'm tied down. I, honestly, I was hit with this uh, in Scotland. Uh, the summer after my senior year in high school, I went to Scotland on a mission trip. And there was this arts festival that happens in Edinburgh, Scotland, every year. And we did acting. We, we put on little one acts that were about the life of D.L. Moody, which... Uh, I don't know what we were thinking. None of us had any acting experience, and we were there trying to impress people at an arts festival with, <laughs> with the story of D.L. Moody. Um, nonetheless, we also worked in this coffee shop, and, and we took time to sit in this coffee shop and, and share the gospel with people as they came in. And there was this group of kids, these four kids, they, they couldn't have been but four, three or four years younger than me, so they're in high school still. Uh, they came, uh, one of them I remember distinctly, he had on a Marilyn Manson shirt, another guy had on a Pantera shirt, I was like, huh, it's, you know, even here, like, th- these, these people are quite popular and famous. And they sat down with me and I thought, alright, here's my chance. Um, and we talked about uh, the gospel, we talked about America and its relationship to the gospel, and I was just on it, like, like, I had every answer. Like, you should have been there, really. You would have been impressed. Uh, every question they had, boom, answer. Oh, and the, I was convinced that they were beaten down by the weight of my sheer brilliance and ability to articulate the gospel. And then at the end, I said, look, do you want to be a Christian? And, and I should also say that a part of my understanding of Christian at the time was that to be a Christian means that God spares you from hell. And that's about it, right? Do you want to be a Christian? And they're like, okay. And so I was like, all you need to do, word for word, verbatim, all you need to do is pray this prayer that I'm about to pray. Believe it in your heart. So I went through with them. You know, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he's my Savior. Come into my heart forever. Amen. Simple prayer. Many of us have heard it. Probably many of us have prayed it. And they were done. I was like, all right, kind of shook their hands. I'd close the deal right, write their name down. They go off. I, I, oh, I am just beaming, right? I, I just led these people in the prayer of salvation. Um, angels are applauding in heaven. Sean, 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 Sean. You know, like, they just, every, everything is good. And then, like 30 minutes later, I'm walking out and I walk down the street because there's this cool guitar shop and I want to look at just instruments. You know, it's it's awesome. And it said Ragamuffin on top of it. And I was really into Rich Mullins at the time. Still am. He's awesome. But it said Ragamuffin. So I took some pictures with my guitar under the Ragamuffin thing as though somehow that attached me to Rich Mullins. Um, But as I'm walking there, I walk past these kids and they've got a couple other friends. And one of them's like, he said, if we just pray this prayer that we don't have to go to hell. So we're all out of hell, you know. (laughs) Like, and it was clearly like mocking what just happened. And then just got this sick feeling in my stomach like what an idiot I was um, in my pride to think that A, I could 
argue someone into heaven, and then B, that if they just prayed a prayer, that somehow that constituted a significant heart change, right? Um, But that's what this text is saying, and what I should have known is that that's not the case. That's not how it works. If you're in Christ, it's not, oh, if anyone who's in Christ prayed a prayer, right? And they're in Christ now, and they can go do whatever they want. They can be the same person because they prayed a prayer. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Uh, Salvation is a heart change. Uh, God makes you new, and you know that because the old things that you were once defined by, the old things that you once desired, the passions of your heart, they're changed. They're new. Does that mean you don't struggle with sin? Absolutely not. But what it means is that your passion isn't for sin. Why do we sin? Because we love it. Because from birth we're sinners and we love it. We're not sinners because we sin, right? It's not that we sin and oh, now we become sinners. We're sinners at the beginning and that's why we sin, because we love it. Well, Christ comes and if you are in him, he gives you a new heart. And even though you still may find yourself turning towards sin, in your heart you don't love it, you're sickened by it, you're convicted by your sin, and you find yourself turning back to Jesus. Listen to me, if you are in unrepentant sin and you have no desire to turn back to Jesus, I can say with much confidence that you need to hear the gospel and you need to check very seriously whether or not you have believed it. Because you will not love sin. You will not love the old things because you are a new creature. This is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. We all know one part of John chapter 3. It's right in the middle. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But we forget all of the things that are around it. Where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and the night represents the darkness of Nicodemus' heart. It's no coincidence that he comes in the dark, that he comes at night. He says to to Jesus, first of all, Nicodemus doesn't even ask, how can I be saved? What Nicodemus goes to ask Jesus is, so we see these things that you're doing, and we see that they're from God. And that's it. Jesus cuts him off. And he says, look, anyone who wants to enter into the kingdom of heaven must be born of water and of the spirit. Right? And Nicodemus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, Jesus says he must be born again. Oh, are we supposed to get back in our mother's womb and be born a second time? Nicodemus doesn't understand the scriptures. Because when Jesus says you need to be born of water and spirit, he's referring to Ezekiel 36. And we're not going to exegete Ezekiel 36. We don't have time. But in Ezekiel 36, we learn about the day of the Lord that's come when God is 
fulfilling his purposes for the earth. And what the Bible says is that he will take his people who were far away, he will bring them back home, he will wash them with water, he will fill them with, their, with his spirit, and their hearts that were stone will become hearts of flesh. He will give them a new identity, a new location, a new heart. He will give them a new start. That's what Nicodemus can't believe. How can someone who's lived 40 years and made all the mistakes that I made have a new start? And that's what God is promising. You can be new. This is the gospel that in Jesus Christ you can be made new. You can have a new heart. All of those things you have done that you cannot fathom how you can be forgiven, how you can be loved, you can. We're going to look at Colossians in a little bit. And what we'll see is that God is happy to do it. You can have a new heart. And, and in order to be a part of this process of multiplication, you have to be made new. And so look what, look what happens next. Uh, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All right, do you see how uh, your task that has been given to you is rooted in your identity in Christ? That thing that we just talked about, the gospel, that happens to you as much as you choose to do it. What, what, what Paul says is that it's from God. That God moves in your heart, that God shapes your life, that God changes your mind, that he calls you and that you see him in his beauty and you cannot help but go to him. And God is not just doing that to you. What does it say? That Christ reconciled us. He's doing it to us. This is a part of the gospel. All right, this is a part of the gospel again that I feel like we leave out. Uh, let's go back to the Old Testament because that's where it's at, right? In Exodus, we get this story of Moses and God says to Moses, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no. And so God sends plagues and finally Pharaoh's like, okay, but then he's like, no again. So God kills him in the Red Sea, right? And that's where we end the story. Look at the deliverance of God. He delivered the, the, the Israelites from slavery, he delivered them from the hands of his enemy. He delivered them from captivity. He's a good God, but that's not where the story stops. That's not the point. God is not just saving them out of Egypt. He's saving them into the promised land. Right? God is not just saving you out of something. He's not just saving you out of hell. He's not just saving you out of a life that is uh, without meaning or purpose. He's not just saving you from something. He's saving you into something. He's saving you into life. He's saving you into us. And now think about the process by which you were saved. It was multiplication, right? Somebody who believed the gospel came and 
took the time and had the courage, even though they didn't know what to say or how to say it or how to relate to you. And and in spite of the fact that you were hostile to the gospel or in spite of the fact that you were just annoying beyond end, they put that aside and they poured into you and the one that was them, or in some cases, in my, in my life, it was, it was my mother. She was a huge uh, influence in the gospel taking root in my life, but it was also my aunt. Uh, and my aunt uh, went through, and I remember it, it was the goofiest thing. She pulled out this little map. It looked like, I don't know if you've ever played like Balderdash, but it looked like Balderdash. But it was the Romans Road, and she took me through the Romans Road. And I didn't really get it, and, and I kind of think that things were out of fear. But she took the time to talk to me about Jesus. And, and she had some, some issues with, with legalism and the gospel, but, but we all do. But, but nonetheless, she shared the gospel with me. There were two coaches that I had in high school, my baseball coach and my basketball coach. And they took time to say, look, you're a smart kid, um, but you're going nowhere. And the reason you're going nowhere is the choices that you're making. You're making those choices because clearly you don't know Jesus. And people in college, even, who came up to me, a guy named Chuck Wade was teaching a Bible study, Monday night Bible study, uh, and he came up to me and he said, look, I think God wants to use you to teach and preach, and you're going to do it. And a part of that is to cut out this junk that you've been doing and start living like Christ. And so these, these four people, these five, four became five as I was included. They multiplied that into me, and all of a sudden I was by myself, an individual, and then Christ saved me using these people, and I became part of us. Four became five, so that I could then proclaim the gospel, and five might become ten or twenty, however much. This multiplication, and God is doing it to us. We are now included. I mean, think about that. Think about that. That it wasn't that my mom one day was like, huh, This life is kind of meaningless. There must be a God, and he must have sent his only son, Jesus, in flesh, born of a virgin who died on the cross. Then rose again, and it's coming back, and if I believe in him, then I can be... Like, it's not... Oh, simple. She was just eating her Fruit Loops one morning, and it just hit her. Like, that's not how it happened. Somebody else came to her and shared the gospel with her, and somebody shared it with them, and somebody shared it with them, and somebody shared it with them, and Paul shared it with that somebody. Like this process started when Jesus said to the disciples, come, follow me. And here we are. Like you are joining it to something huge. God has reconciled us. Uh, He gave himself uh, for us and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, This is something that we're joined into. And what that means is that as much as we like to think about it in this way, look, your faith, It's personal. It is. If it's not personal, something's wrong. Um, There are times when your faith, you are alone, quiet in your room. I like it dim, which I think I always just like it dim anyway. Melissa thinks I live in a cave um, by choice. But but there are times when you're just, it's you and your word and uh, the word and, 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 your thoughts and prayer, and you are with God, and, and no one else is there. And it's, and it's personal. But look, it, it's, it was never meant to be private. It was never meant to be individual. It is a public faith. It's a 
corporate faith. God is not just saving you. He's saving us. He's not just reconciled you. He has reconciled us. And you need us. You need the church because that is where the... Listen, we're getting a lot of gospel here. And hopefully for some of you, this is just reminding you of the gospel. And for some of you, this may be the first time you've, you've heard it. But, but my hope is that you will take it seriously. But look, there are three things that God is saving us from. Uh, and there's much more than that. But at the very least, God, uh, Christ on the cross, God through Christ, is saving us from the penalty of sin, which is death and separation from God. Right? He's saving us from the power of sin in our lives. And, and he will save us from the presence of sin. That's the great promise that Christ will return. We'll remove the presence of sin and the curse altogether. Um, And so you are under the penalty of sin, death, hell, separation from God. You have been justified. We use that word, justification. That's what it is, that it's just as if you'd never sinned. Your penalty is no longer before the Lord. Jesus took your place. You have been saved from the penalty. But even now, the power of sin is still present in your life. You're still living uh, like what Paul talks about in Romans 6. That the very thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I hate is what I do. Wretched man that I am, that is our lives. We can all relate to that. God is saving you from that. And he's doing it by the power of his gospel and through community in the church. Matt Chandler, at this event we went to last week, um, he said that um, sanctification, the process of being saved from the power of sin in your life, happens when you get down in the trenches together and you are known. And some of you are going through mess right now. And what you are doing is the exact opposite of what you need to be doing. You are going through sin in your life. You're going through marital strain in your life. You are going through depression, anxiety, and doubt. And what you're doing, which is our natural tendency, is you are withdrawing from the very community that God designed to save you from what you are going through. Do you get that? If you want healing... Don't withdraw. That brings more pain. That brings more death. That brings more sin. If you are hurting, I mean, don't withdraw. Come in. Come into the body. Come into the family. Be fed. Be ministered to. Don't bear that weight yourself. Give it to your brothers and sisters. Let us bear it with you. If you have need, don't leave. Come in. And yet we do the opposite. But the problem is, It's because we think this is something I have to figure out for myself. It's my own private, individual problem, but it's not private. It might be personal. It's near and dear to your heart, but it is for the community to serve one another. Be a part of the community of faith because God is reconciling us. Multiplication in its simplest form is moving from individual to community. That's what God's been doing. He started with Adam. Right? In Genesis 2, he starts with one man, Adam, creates a wife, Eve, really woman until the fall, then Eve. And then where does it end in, in Revelation 22? City. Garden of individual, a city of people. Like the, the process of God is from individual to community, and it always has been. 
Do not pull away from uh, the community. We are now in that long line of faith, and so let's keep on going. Uh, We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So get this, Christ reconciles us, and then he tasks us with the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that ministry? What is the ministry of reconciliation? Let's look in verse 19, because he tells us, that is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So reconciliation is part one, something God did, and part two, a message that we proclaim. All right, and I want you to see the process that's happened. If anyone is in Christ, he, individual, is a new creation. Why? Because God is reconciling us, the church, to himself. And with the ministry of reconciliation, that is that God through Christ is reconciling who? The world to himself. We do not have a big enough picture of what God is doing in the world. Look, God is reconciling all things to himself. That is the gospel. All right? And so um, to see another place, because, all right, we're talking about reconciliation. And we're talking about something that in in the Bible itself is only used in four different places. There's only four times that that reconciliation as an idea is brought up. So we have to look throughout all the scripture to get the context for what reconciliation is. And so the first place we're going to go is the book of Colossians. And so turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And I should have marked my place in... My Bible. All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 19 and read through 20. Um, this is talking about Jesus. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Now we've just, we've broadened it a lot more. Before it was God is making you new. He's reconciling us. He's reconciling the world. Now he's reconciling all things, earth and heaven. He's reconciling all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. How? Making peace by the blood of his cross. So we get this idea of reconciliation. Is God making peace. And we talked about Ezekiel 36 already, right? And in Ezekiel 36, what it literally says is that my people were far off and God says, I'm going to bring them in. They were my people, but they hated me. They sided with my enemies. They fought against me, but I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to wash them with spirit and with water, and they are going to be, they're going to be my people. They're going to get a new heart. I'm going to reconcile them to myself. I'm going to make peace. And he did it by the blood of the cross. He did it through Jesus dying. He did it by God raising Jesus from the dead. This is what God is doing. This is reconciliation. It's making peace. Well, what does that look like? If God is reconciling all things to himself, what in the end is that going to look like? And in order to get there, we have to turn to the last book, to Revelation 21. You don't have to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, But Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, this is Jesus now in glory. He's done what he said he was going to do. And listen to what he says. He who is seated on the, the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. You need to hear that. I'm making all things new. Um, get the wording right. He doesn't say I'm coming to make all new things. 
I'm making all things new. This is the end result of reconciliation. He makes peace by the blood of his cross and the blood transforming us, making us new, renewed. And he is doing that with all things, the heavens and the earth. When, when at the fall, when, when Adam and Eve partook of uh, the fruit and they sinned, um, because the universe and everything was created with them in mind, they sent shockwaves throughout the universe, throughout the cosmos. Everything was shifted off of its axis. And what God says is, I'm making it right. I'm making it new by the blood of Jesus. This is what is happening. This is the ministry of reconciliation that we're talking about. The the ministry of reconciliation that God has embarked upon is taking things that were broken, and by making peace through the blood of Jesus, he makes them new. And he's not just doing it to you. He's not just doing it to Grace Community Church. He's not just doing it. He's doing it to all things. This is huge. And look, some of you, some of you, I know because I've been there, some of you are terribly bored. Not just in church, but in life. Right? in spite of the fact that we are the most entertained culture in the history of the planet, um, and that we spend more on pleasure, more on entertainment than any other people have ever, unprecedented amounts of money and time and effort, and yet and still we're bored and we're empty. Some of you are bored with church. The reason I don't come to church is because there's nothing in it for me. What am I going to do? I want to be part of something bigger, so I'll go rally with that political group, you know, or, or I'll be a part of a sports team because I'm a part of something that's bigger than me. We all want it, right? It's carved into our DNA as people. We want to be a part of something big. The best movies, the movies that we are drawn to are epics. They're huge. Because we want to live vicariously through Katniss Everdeen and vicariously through Frodo Baggins and vicariously through the people in the notebook, even love stories, right? Like we want a love that's bigger than us, that travels some distance, even if you lost your memory or you, what kept you alive was a picture, I don't know. Not all of them are good, but they're all pointing to the same thing. And we go into theaters and we sit down and we pretend like we're there. And we live vicariously through that. And then we leave the theater or we put the book down or we turn off the TV. We go outside and we're like, well, my life sucks. You know, like I have nothing to, I'm not doing any, who am I? Like we have these deep philosophical conversations. Who am I? What am I doing? And, And the problem is that You don't realize that you've been called to something greater than that. All of those stories are pointing to this big story that God is reconciling all things through Christ Jesus to himself, whether in earth or in heaven, and you have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. So what God is saying is, here's this epic story, just step on in. Play your part. And you will find, you you might not be Frodo, you might not get to toss the ring in. We'll call that Jesus. I don't know. There's not really a Christ figure. But, but you might be Legolas. Or if you're a man, you might be Gimli. Like, you can be any... You get to be a part of this story, and it's awesome. And all you have to do is just step in. 
And all of a sudden, you, you just have to see it that way. You just have to see, I'm a part of this story. I apologize if I offended any Legolas friends or fans. Um, <laughs> sometimes you just say things. Uh, and so we've, we've reduced the cross to this symbol of personal salvation, right? This symbol of individualistic salvation. And so, well, think about this. Um, if he took the fall and thought of you above all, and you're now saved, then it's done. What, what else is there? If you're the center of what God is doing, if you're the center and he saved you, then it's done. There's nothing else. What do I do with this life? I have no idea, but I'm not going to hell when it's over. Uh, are you happy in Christ? Do you have joy? No, I'm miserable. I live almost exactly the same, but at least when I die, I'm not going to burn for it. You call that life. It's not life. Here's the reality. is Jesus took the fall and he thought about the glory of God above all things. And he did it to reconcile all creation, whether heaven or earth, to himself. And when he saved you, what he did was he called you to be a part of that team. Be a part of my reconciliation team called the church. Now go, get them, at a boy. You know? That is the gospel. And that's how it's playing out. And so if we go back to Coloss- or back to 2 Corinthians, that's what he says. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us and to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, and now this is where it comes in. We're talking about multiplication. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. All right? And so right now, Paul, Paul says what I hope you're hearing. I hope you're hearing this. God saved you through Christ. So now be about this message, this ministry of reconciliation. And if it can't be any more clear to you, God made you his ambassador, which means he took you and placed you in a hostile foreign land, so that you could bring this message, this gospel, this good news of reconciliation through peace being made by the blood of Christ on the cross. You are ambassadors. And so in order to be an ambassador, uh, in order to be a part of... um, a part of what God is doing, really there are kind of two things that Paul is saying happens. If you're an ambassador, the first thing, I'm going to take them out of order, actually. The first thing, there, there are two steps to it. Um, it's evangelizing ourselves. So cause, listen to what he says. He says, you're ambassadors for Christ. And then he doesn't say, I implore you, go quickly, tell the message, spread the word, um, create tracks. Let's strategize. Come on, let's, let's figure out how to mobilize the units and let's go out and, and, and let's do that. What does he say? I implore you, be reconciled to God. Preach, he preaches the gospel again to us as Christians. This is what we do every week. 
And if one week we don't do it, then that week we failed. No matter how well we said whatever it is we said, if at the end of the sermon you did not hear the gospel proclaimed in relation to whatever topic it is that we're talking about. If we talk about families, then it's the gospel and how the gospel, uh, how the gospel changes the family unit. If we're talking about politics or if we're talking about money or alcohol, it's the gospel and how a changed person relates to all of these different spheres of life, how the gospel shapes those things. If we haven't done that, then we have failed. And so you hear the gospel and the hope is that you respond, that you are more and more being reconciled to God every day. You've been reconciled. You are being reconciled. One day you will be fully reconciled. And we're right here in, in, in the already but not yet part of it. Already reconciled but not yet in its fullness. And so we implore you by the power of the gospel, by the message of the gospel, be reconciled to God. And you have to remind yourself, this is why we say to read the Bible every day and to pray. Right? It's not so that you'll become some theological brainiac. Oh, well, the, symbio- the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. You know, that's not the point. Look, you can read the Bible and you cannot know what justification means. Well, well, I won't go that far. That's it. You can read the Bible and not be able to explain how the Trinity works except that you believe it. You can't. However, you can't read the Bible if you're reading it and not see that Jesus Christ died for you and his spirit is making you new. And so that means that some of you have to change the way you're reading the Bible Some of you are reading the Bible to gain more knowledge, to become theologically stronger. Some of you are reading the Bible in order to have a stronger apologetic that you can argue with people about. And you're not reading the Bible to see and hope and watch the Spirit of Jesus Christ transform you. Which means you're not going to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation as much as you think or want to be if the gospel is not changing you. So we evangelize ourselves, and then we evangelize the world. God is making his appeal through you. There's no clear way to say that. Conversely, if you, if we, are not making God's appeal, then it's not being made. Now look, it's God's power. It's God's work. You don't save anyone. But don't use that as a cop-out to do the one thing, the one thing that God has charged all of us equally to do. So how do you do that? How do you do that practically? Because I don't, I don't want to just say go evangelize the world. Um, practically, I really just want to leave you with, with one concept and um, It's one that you may have heard before. Uh, It's this idea of faithful presence. God, I'll I'll just read it to you. Acts 17, um, you don't have to go there. Um, But God says, or Paul says in Acts 17 that, uh, all right, here we go, Um, that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, listen to this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, 
yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So do you, do you see what Paul is saying here? That God, in his wisdom and in his providence, designated for you the place that you would be that is here. God puts you in this place. You might say, I don't want to be here. I hate this place. Okay, move. And when you get there, the reality is that God puts you there, specifically. He intended for you to be there so that in whatever you are in, whether it's work, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's your children's athletic competitions, whether it's the spelling bee, whatever it is that God has put you or your family or your people in, if you're in school at Campbell or Wake Tech or CCCCCCC, um, then God puts you there. And you might say, well, no, my grades put me there. No, but here's the thing is that you are infinitely dumber than God. You didn't know what you were doing, but God did. God put you in the place that you are in on purpose so that you could be an ambassador for Christ, making that, uh, participating in that ministry of reconciliation. Wherever it is you are, you are there intentionally. And so if you will live faithfully, if you will preach the gospel both in word and in deed, and it must be both, if you are faithful to do those things where God has called you, and look, it's not even where. It's not even just where. It says that he determined allotted periods as well as the boundaries of their dwelling. So God puts you here now, right? And I and, uh, just saw this movie a little while ago about these people who, I don't know how, but they encountered um, writers and artists from another time period. Uh, this, this guy, uh, played by Owen Wilson. He encounters people from another time period and he's in love with it and he realizes this is where I was supposed to be. The culture is better. The music is better. The people are cooler. Uh, they're, they're just, it's trendier. This is where I was supposed to, I'm supposed to be. And then he meets this girl and she's amazing and then she finds out she just wants to be in a time period way before her. And everyone's just thinking, oh, remember the good old days. Everyone says it when the Bible tells us not to actually, not to do that. The Bible literally says, don't say, where have the good old days gone? God placed you here and now in his infinite wisdom in order that you might be a messenger of reconciliation. That you might proclaim the gospel. And so in order for you to do that, you must be faithfully present. Each of you have been called to be a minister of reconciliation to different people. If you're parents, you've been called to be a minister of reconciliation to your children. And that means you must be faithfully present. You don't get to check out. That's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. But you don't get to check out. Your presence is so important. Uh, If you are a student in high school, it's difficult. If you're a student in college, it's difficult. But you're called to be faithfully present where you are. In your job, you may hate your job. You may think your boss is an idiot, and you might be right. (laughs) But you're called to be faithfully present there. Compassionate, humble, forgiving, proclaiming, making the most of every opportunity. And here's the reality, and 
Yeah, here's the reality, is that some people just hate everything, even Christians. I mean, the reality is, like, oh, my, my job is just ridiculous. This town is just ridiculous. You know, I'm moving, I'm leaving, you quit, you get a new job, you move to a new place. After a while, you're like, man, this place is just ridiculous. It's just, I, I cannot stand it. You quit and you move. All right, so you've had five jobs in four different locations over eight years, and ridiculous is still the way you describe things. Um, what is the only common thread? <laughs> right? It's you. Right? Maybe you need to be asking the question, why is this ridiculous feeling, why is stupidity, why is lameness, whatever it may be, following me around? Maybe there's something in you attracting that. Or maybe, or maybe, you just need a new perspective. This place seems lame or stupid because you haven't begun to live in what you're supposed to be doing. You don't see this place as a battlefield, as a mission ground. You don't see your neighborhood as a place where you get a chance to be a part of God, reconciling all things to himself, starting with that person next door who plays their music a little too loud or who just won't cut their grass. Or that coworker who doesn't do everything and you have to pick up the slack for them. Or that family member that we all have. I don't even have to describe it. God has put you here on purpose. And then look what he says. This is the last thing and, and we'll be done. I have to get back there. For our sake, Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look, it starts with the gospel and it ends with the gospel. He says it in three different ways. Maybe one of those ways will resonate with you. This is the message. And it's, this, is, this is not a, a difficult thing, even though it's very uncomfortable at times. It's very hard at times. It's not a Christ took on your lameness so that you might be whole. Christ took on your brokenness so that you might be fixed. Christ took on all of the things that are old, so that you might be made new. And he did it to me as well. And so in the same way that by multiplication I was added into this community of faith, I am reaching out to you, praying that the power of the Spirit will draw you into us, and so that we can join hands and walk together, proclaiming the gospel. Look, um, part of faithful presence is meeting needs, and that's what we're going to have a chance to do right now. Um, we're going to be taking our benevolence offering, um, and benevolence is, is a way to, be, to show faithful presence in two ways. The first way is our primary use of benevolence is for the church. 
God designed the church so that within it, there would be no need, spiritual, physical, emotional, there would be no need, that we would meet each other's needs. And as we do that, we present a body that is healthy and that is beautiful to the outside world. And then at the same time, at the same time benevolence is used so that we can say as the church, in the same way that Christ, who was rich, made himself poor, for our sake, so that we can be rich, we are in some small way making ourselves poor so that your needs might be met. And so we get to give money that is actually a gospel proclamation. That is, look, you don't have to worry about where your food is coming from now. And there's coming a day where we won't have to worry about hunger or thirst anymore. It's faithful presence. So we can apply that now. And then as we go, we can apply it throughout the week. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. Uh, the deacons are going to come up. Uh, give, give generously to this. Uh, and then we'll be done. And remember to grab those slips of paper about fasting as you leave. Um, and look, if there are some of you who, this, this is new to you, this, this gospel and this, just all of these things that we're, we've been talking about, um, please, please, uh, don't hesitate to talk to um, anyone that you've seen on stage, uh, anyone who's handing out stuff. Uh, talk to me, please. Uh, there's uh, information on your bulletin. Uh, there are elders' names if you don't know who they are. If you just, just call Jim McLaughlin, and he'll come running. And, and he, I've, uh, now he has to, so somebody please do it. Um, but we, we'd be so happy to talk to you about Jesus and how you can be reconciled to God. So um, let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you have done in Christ and what you are doing in Christ. And I pray now that we as a church would be excited about this task that you've given us of multiplication, of reconciliation, God, that we would center on the gospel, we would center on Christ, and that we would preach him in all things, and that uh, while we want to be good witnesses with our actions and with our morality. God, I pray that we would not be satisfied just to be moral people uh, because there are a lot of moral people whose hearts have not been made new. And so may our morality, may our generosity, may our compassion, may our kindness always be um, coupled with, grounded in the gospel. And as we do that, we pray that you would add to your number Jesus' name, amen.